0: You're listening to 7 Points of Satisfaction in Buying HR Technology, supported by the HR Gazette and Hive Tech HR, and now your host, Jeremy Ames. All right, we're talking with William Tim Cup here. We're going to introduce this, uh, this new webcast series called the 7 Points of Satisac- Satisfaction in Buying HR Tech. Um, the concept, as, uh, as we'll go through here, is basically a series that William and I wrote together on Tech Target to cover those seven areas of, uh, of, of satisfaction when you're buying this HR tech. So we're just going to give you an overview today of what the process is going to look like, how we're going to dive into this and, and uh, set the stage, essentially, for the future conferences. So welcome, William. Welcome. Welcome Jeremy. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm in space. You can see me in space. Good. Are you
1: satisfied though? <laughs> are you satisfied.
0: I'm pretty satisfied with uh, being here today. Yes. I'm good. I'm happy. Good. Yeah, and I'm happy that you're you're on the road to recovery and healthiness. So that's, that's, that's great. great.
1: Thank you. Thank yes. you. Happy to be here.
0: Good. So, um, I loved writing this series with you. It uh, got a lot of attention on Tech TechTarget. Um, still get people coming up to me and saying uh, how much they enjoyed it, and some of them even have said, uh, and you may have heard this too, where they kind of use what we wrote as a playbook for Buying technology, which is a—it's uh, a good feeling. Yeah, so
1: it's a, a compliment to the writing uh, and to uh, just the idea of trying to help practitioners uh, understand what to ask. I mean, we've—we've we've all been thrown into a buying process before and kind of not known the bit. And because of where you and I play, um, we have some insight on the other side. And so we can kind of be that Sagadioia that kind of explains what's going on on the other side. And yeah. And so the series was great. And I get, I get the same compliments. It's, it's nice because people were like, okay, I took that and then I added this and you know, my boss wanted me to do this and it, it's great that they could start with something. So yeah, I love those compliments.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, the overall concept is basically, it takes you kind of through the whole buying life cycle. Um, so you know, just stepping through, I think we'll just step through kind of the different areas. So we, we talked about product, we wrote a whole one particular article about, you know, the products. So in the first episode after this, um, and, and just to give some framework, I think what we talked about is, uh, I'll bring on like different software vendors. Right. So it's going to be the angle is, uh, basically asking the software vendor when they're, when they're going through this process of selling you know, what are they expecting to be asked? What are they hoping to be asked? What, you know, what kind of answers are they giving? You know, what's their ideal selling process? Because that may help the, the buyer kind of frame that and, and know how they should be approaching it, right? So,
1: That's right. That's right. And, and so on both sides, on the vendor side, uh, when you talk about product, there's a past, present, and future. And so there's three distinct areas of where did the software come from, where is it currently, and where is it going? And so to be able, as a practitioner, to ask questions like, okay, was this acquired tech? Uh, Did you build it from the kernel? Uh, Has it been rebuilt to the kernel a couple different times, et cetera? So what's that historical uh, knowledge about the software or product? And then where it is right now? Uh, and I think that those are great questions for both the vendor to talk about. Here's where we're at. Here's where we've, Here's the releases you should see. I think the better software companies uh, really know the next 18 months or so uh, in, in more of a concrete way. They know what's coming. And so they can talk to the specifics of that if they're adding learning, if they're adding recruiting, you know, whatever. Um, and so that here's where we are now, present. Here's where we're going future. These are great things for a vendor to talk about. Uh, the thing I would tell you that from a practitioner that you'd want is how do we do this currently? It's, it's a harder question. If you're switching from one ATS to another, it's obviously not that difficult. But more often than not, it's not that simple. You're doing something. You're doing it away. You're using Post-it notes. You're using something proprietary, uh, a cobbled-together system, uh, Excel, Excel. Uh, whatever you 're doing it the one way, and now there 's going to be this change to this new product. And so acknowledging what that is, how you're doing it now, I think is really important to kind of, it's more introspection. It's more kind of looking at yourself and looking at the company and looking at people, product, uh, process, and really looking at how you do something so that you can reflect that to to the vendor. So their job is to tell you past, present, future about where the product is. Your job, as I see it at least, is to be able to tell them how you do it now. so and it doesn't matter how arcane by the way like okay it's it's caveman we actually you know use post-it notes and we have a big room this is how we do it that's okay that's absolutely okay but they need to have a really good sense of how you do things
0: Yep. yeah i'm i'm really interested to see how how important the vendor considers product in the whole in the whole thing like how Relative to like the company, relative to the people, you know, how important is the product and, and how much do they, would they prefer to focus on that during the selling process? You know, because a lot of, a lot of people would say that you're buying the company sometimes even more so than, than the product itself. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how much weight that the product itself gets in this discussion.
1: Well, I would tell you, I got a take on that. My mm-hmm. take is that, you know, Andreessen Horowitz says that software is eating the world. I actually believe that process is more important than technology. Yeah. So I'm one of these kind of rare birds where I don't, even though I love tech, uh, I'm an advocate for tech. I actually think that you can put bad tech on a great process and it works, whereas the opposite doesn't work. So I, I tend to always err on the side of you got to get process right period, end story. You got to get it right. You got to continue to get it right. And then if you put a great product on a great process, you know, that's where competitive differentiation is is created. And
0: SaaS has also played a role in that because you're not necessarily buying just the product that you buy today. You're also buying the product that they, you know, continuously roll out and have an easier time through their release management processes instead of, you know, basically being stuck with whatever, whatever they, they ship you today. You know, so that's that's also made people more comfortable with mm-hmm. um, wherever the product is today. We'll dive into a little bit on sales. So I'm excited to bring in somebody who's really, you know, in depth on the vendor side from a sales perspective to talk about how they treat people. So, you know, a lot of these questions are looking at it from the buyer's perspective. But like, what would a vendor say about, about their role in this process, do they do they try to oversell? Or are they okay with that? And then they'll kind of make it up when they get down the road a little bit, or mm-hmm. you know. So it's I think this will be an interesting discussion.
1: Yeah, in our our little corner of the world, software's sold; it's not bought. Yeah. So and 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 software firms are do a lot of education in the marketplace. So so they're the ones that do the calling, they're the ones that do the aggressive because typically we avoid getting into new software sales. We avoid the demos, we avoid that stuff. We're very reactive in the way that we go after software. So it would really be great to understand how and why they go about that, how they, how they want to approach us, how they talk to us, what questions they, they wish that we would ask. Um, and, and, and basically how do they render themselves, both themselves, the company, the products, the ecosystem that they might have behind them, but how do they, how do they render themselves? And I, I always kind of give people the advice of how do you feel like trust your gut. Yep. If you feel like that gal or that guy is just not trustworthy, you know, stay there. Don't, don't go further than that because right. if, if you get the feeling they're not trustworthy, they're not trustworthy. Yeah. So just don't, don't let your gut uh, – don't let you don't, – don't override your, your own instincts. Uh, the only other thing I would probably add here is if you can get to a place, a comfortable place with a salesperson where you ask them about deals that they've lost. So everyone's yeah. done one loss analysis or win loss analysis. So the deals that you win as a software firm, you kind of know why you win. It could be price, could be terms, you know, it could be a lot of different things, but why do you lose deals? Yeah. And I think as a practitioner, you'd like to talk to a couple of people that got really far in the process, but for whatever reason, they picked it something else. And and talking to those people different from talking to um, just regular references, because references are like job references. These are people that you've already vetted, they're gonna say nice things about you. Yep. But people that have said no, I wanna know why. They yeah. said no. At and what I'd point l- in the process did it fall out? You know? That's right. Like, yep. That's right. And was it about product or was it about salesmanship or was it about support? You know, I've seen people balk at uh, just the flexibility of taking, you know, 30 cents off of a price, uh, a PMPM, PM, that people have balked at the deal and walked away from it. So it could be just the inflexibility in pricing. Like, right. it, love the product, love the team, inflexible in the contract or they wanted a five-year contract, we want to do a three-year contract. So any of those things that could give you pl- pointers as to why I think helps you make good buying decisions.
0: Yep. And then we, uh, we wrote about the negotiation process. Um, and this would be interesting to talk about, uh, because, you know, one of the questions we were asking in the writing was, for the, for the buyer to dive into how is the vendor making their money and be specific about it. Because, you know, most often we think of negotiation as how can we get the best price, but in the end you also need the vendor to have, to be comfortable with that, you know, where the, where you end up on, on the price point. Um, so getting that perspective of the vendor should be interesting to talk about their side of it. You know, are they trying to make as most mo- the most money they can or would they like to get in that sweet spot where the, they know that they're, buyer you know made the right decision and and potentially in the future will become a better reference because they got a good you know price value uh comparison so
1: Mm -hmm. the only thing i'd add first of all i love everything you said i think the only thing i'd I'd add is put yourself in the mindset of 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 uh, you're getting married Mm -hmm. okay so so you're you're buying software and you're getting married so a lot of couples they have prenups that basically kind of sort out how things will go if and when you part ways. It's already kind of predetermined. Yeah. You know, you, you, you get this, I get that. It's already kind of, you, we've already negotiated, essentially. It's done. And if that ever becomes what happens to us, well, we've already got a document. If you think of it, stuff in the negotiation phase where you're already thinking about life without this vendor, then it, it enables you to then ask tough questions. Like, okay, so how fast could we get out of the contract? Say, at the end of the day, is that a 90-day? Is it a 30-day? Is there a process? Do you have a team in place? Like, what does it look like when I want to move and go to a different vendor? And if you don't ask that question and you don't kind of get it, you know, in writing and down, what happens is you get into the contract and you get – years down the contract and um, something happens and you want to go with a different vendor. And then all of a sudden it becomes a fight. It becomes a new battle or a battle that could have been completely avoided had we actually had the foresight to ask the tough questions during when we bought.
0: Yep. I mean, that will be a fascinating conversation from the the vendor perspective. Just, you know, do you point blank asking them, do you make it difficult for your, because it, their contracts, you know.
1: <laughs> it's, it's, so, so think about that, but go further. Let me talk to three clients that have exited. Yeah. Let me talk to three. I want to talk to three people in the last year that have left your firm, that have uh, work clients, maybe even happy clients, but they decide to do a different direction for whatever reason. I want to talk to those three people.
0: Oh, and they are on on today's webcast,
1: <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> Surprise yeah.
1: visits. Hey, here's Janet, the former client. of <laughs> You remember her, yeah, so but but the thing is, is, if you can do that, well, now you vet it out, so you ask them, but usually people are going to give you the answer that you're already thinking about, but if you can ask people that have been through that process, it gets you even more clarity there, yep,
0: and then um uh, this is my bread and butter because i I work on this uh, consistently as the implementation, so Uh, You know, again, like the questions that the, the buyers are asking is all about how well do they manage their implementations, who manages them. And, you know, the questions to be asking the vendor who might come on this one. So I have to, I have to choose this person wisely. But you know, how how important are implementations uh, to you as a company? How are, how are you managing them? Are they, you know, are they lost leaders, which happens a lot of times? Are you know, so it, that'll be a very fun conversation.
1: Yeah, the, the two things that I would I would say there is the concept of done and the concept of success. Mm-hmm. So as a practitioner, how do you define done? Because it's, it's been my experience on, on the implementation side that, that it's actually never done. Yeah. It's, it's never over. Uh, and that's hard for all, everyone to kind of get their heads around. Yeah. Because the vendor wants it done. And actually, the practitioner wants it done. But what we find is you get into it and all of a sudden you have new employees or you just acquired a new firm. Or there's something now you get lay off like there's chaos. Yep. And it just never is to so so what are you gonna call done? What is the definition of Clinton 101? What is the definition of done? How will you define when it is completed? Uh, second is how do you define success? Like what does it look like? How do we yep. so that we mutually agree on what success is? Is adoption success? Is it sign up? Is it data import Like, well, what? what is success? And so that you have a shared view and vision of a definition of what is and isn't success.
0: Yep. Instead of defining, info, which is sometimes where, where right. things decide, yeah.
1: Well, you get, your, like your work, you get 80% into it or, or maybe a, a three months from, you know, go live. And now you want to have a discussion around what is success.
0: Yeah. Or you move the target. That's what happens that's a right. lot of times. Yeah, yep. that's right. Training, that should be a good one. I mean, I know, you know, this is a yeah, life cycle of the of the process. So, you know, from the buyer's perspective, finding out if a lot of companies are offering free training to their to their buyers now. So talking about that from the vendor's perspective, if that's a if that's a goal of their of them or you know, so it's gonna be interesting to dive into what how much value the vendor places on training we're all you know, offering.
1: Yeah, so a couple words for practitioners kind of put in there, their vernacular is adoption, usage, mm-hmm. consumption. So essentially software is one of these things that, you know, the more you use it, the better you value, and the more value you get out of it, right? But it's, it's time serve. You've got to be able to use it. Your folks have to be able to answer questions. Mm-hmm. They've got to be able to leverage it, etc. And on the other end of adoption, usage, and consumption is this concept of love. Do they love the software? Do they love it? So now, working backwards from training, how do you get that? How do you actually manufacture what is adoption and usage and consumption to get to love? Because if they love the software, then what you've created is something they can't do without. It's not just software that's added to their job description. It's now something that helps them do their job, which more often than not, uh, software usage is actually not a part of people's job description. Like they have jobs, and then they have software, but the two aren't necessarily linked together. And I think once you get to a place where they love their software, it becomes a part of their job.
0: Yeah, and actually, just to kind of tease ahead or look ahead, I'm I will plan on adoption. To me, is kind of the holy grail of all, of everything. And, and in our in our series, it was number six primarily because, like I said, you're stepping through the process, so you're working on the adoption as you're rolling out the software and then afterwards you're dealing with support of it. But in the series, my plan is to actually make adoption kind of the last thing we talk about because it's not only at the point of which you're going live, but like two years down the road, the goal of both the person who, all the money to software, as well as the vendor who sold it to you, they want you to continue. There's no intent to implement something, spend all this effort, this money. And then like a year later, be like, all right, next I'm, I'm, I'm ready to imple- implement something else. Right. So adoption is ongoing. And that's why I do plan on making that like the last thing we talk about. Good. It's in everyone's
1: best interest. That's the beauty of adoption. Yeah. It's in the practitioner's best interest. It's in the finance or procurement department's best interest. It's in the vendor's best It's in the consultant or implementation folks. But everyone wins when adoption happens. So then it just becomes a game of how do you do it? Yep. At your particular place of business – What is it going to take to get people to adopt the software? And so some of it comes down to training, comes down to change management, comes down to communications, comes down to a lot of different things. But it's the manipulation of the system to then say, we want this to be adopted. It's in everyone. No one's fighting this. The only people that are fighting it is people that are still thinking about the old way. Yeah, that are still attached to the old software, the old way of doing things. So even those folks, you've got an adoption, you know, curve that you're going through from, you know, early participants and early adopters all the way to laggards. And so you've got to actually think about how we manufacture, what do we do to create adoption? Because it, it literally is in everybody's best interest if you adopt the software
0: what i think will be also very interesting is who owns it you know because the the people who are implementing it might be a third party and and they may not think it's their job the vendor a lot of times says well no the the company really has to become engaged at this point and have to own the software themselves and and so a lot of times a lot Everyone's kind of saying it's not me or not, not raising their hand. They're throwing up their hand saying, this is not my job. So, you know, be point blank asking a vendor, do you own adoption? You know, I don't know. I, well, I know I would get different answers from different vendors. So I'm curious to, to know how that, how that conversation is going to play out. Right. Because nobody wants to own it,
1: but it's critical to everything. So That's right. somebody has to, Yeah, somebody has to. And the more experience they have in adoption and change management and things like that, the better the adoption. Yeah. So not only does somebody need to own it, but really the better uh, that you can put a person there that has experience in adoption, the more, the better and deeper adoption you'll get.
0: Yeah. And then, like I said, this one, this one is still critical, you know, to make sure that the nothing breaks down and that you're getting the, the right support. And and every vendor kind of handles this differently. Um, so, but it is important to make sure that, you know, are you getting a dedicated rep? So there's, there's, there's a lot about the structure of a help desk that, you know, that warrants at least some
1: discussion. So the best thing a practitioner can do here is define every poor support experience they've ever had <laughs> and, yeah. and ask those questions, real questions. Okay, it's Friday night, we have payroll due on Monday morning, and no one's login works. Tell me how that happens. What, what, what happens next? Mm-hmm. Like literally take them through a battery to understand how problems get solved. Because yep. <clears throat> it's inevitable that problems are going to exist. So first of all, it's inevitable that implementation will get sideways. That just happens. It's called the inevitable disaster. There's always something that's unforeseen. Same thing is true in support. There's always a moment where you thought you bought this or you thought that this was an easy fix or you thought that this was something that was supported only to find out that it's not. Right. So the more you suss this stuff out in the buying process, the more you really understand what you bought. Mm-hmm. And so the easiest way, at least one of the ways I've explained it to people is just go back to your car buying experience. You know, when you bought the car and you bought the extended warranty, okay, cool. What does that mean? Is that just powertrain? Is that the engine? Is it tires? Is it the windshield wipers? Like, what exactly did you buy? Most people don't know that about their cars, and I would say even a larger number of people don't know that about the software they bought.
0: Yeah, but even, I mean, cars, if it's not working, you're just going to leave it in the garage. And then in the software comparison, like we're not buying CRMs here where like if they're down, maybe you're not able to re- reach out to your, your prospects or or things like that. We're talking about systems that control your payroll, like stuff where if it's not working, people aren't going to get their, their paychecks. So I think that's why... Yeah, it's mission critical stuff that is really oftentimes belittled during the whole uh buying process. So uh it's not, not something that should be taken lightly, obviously. Totally agree. Yeah. So that's uh that's kind of the process that we I plan to go through on this. It's gonna be fun. Um, you know, part of the fun is gonna be choosing who to bring on and and also trying not to play favorites when I go through that process. But <laughs> yeah, right. uh but it should be a good time. Um how do yeah, you feel about good. it?
1: Well, I think uh, first of all, you're you know you're you're helping practitioners understand kind of the game, uh, and again because of where you sit in this process, you can help the vendors explain themselves better, and you can help the practitioners understand both what they need and what questions they need to ask. Yep. So it, this is actually something that's going to be really helpful. To, to both sides, the vendors doing a better job of explaining themselves and having a, something that they can point to and discussions that they've had. And for the practitioners, it helps them the better, more apt they are to ask great questions in the sales process, the, the more that they're, they can protect against being burned. Yeah. And uh, no one's going, like you said, no one's going to go out and, and try to burn somebody just because if anything it's just a miscommunication or misunderstanding well let's let's try and get the misunderstandings under control
0: yeah and that part is not going to be a tough sell because almost everyone has gone through a process you know okay. whether it's in buying your etch or or making some sort of purchase we've all had feeling like we either got screwed or a couple of years down the road having you know buyer's remorse so again like it it's something that's going to add value to almost you know to most people so
1: agreed totally agree
0: yeah all right i really appreciate uh you coming on here william like i like i said writing the series was was a whole lot of fun and i think you know if you dive into each one, there's obviously some interesting things
1: that, that are going to come
0: out of this. So, um, well,
1: I can't wait to uh, – I mean, consider me one of your biggest fans. I can't wait to you uh, to produce the series and uh, hear what people say.
0: Great. All right. Well, I'm going to shut down the recording now, but uh, thanks so much for your time. Thank you for listening to 7 Points of Satisfaction in Buying HR Technology. Subscribe on iTunes and learn more at hrgazette.com.